Hello, everyone, and welcome to the PathEyes Health Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Baram, and I am joined here today by one of our advocacy board members, Angela Tucker. Thanks for joining the show, Angela. Yeah, thank you so much. So happy to be here. Absolutely. Um, let's just jump right into it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what your journey has been and how, how you ended up talking with us today? Yeah, absolutely. So my journey, you know, it's really evolved over time. Um, and it's, you know, it's still, you know, as it stands today, currently evolving, and, you know, we're learning more and more. Um, so currently, I'm diagnosed with hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, I'm diagnosed with POTS, uh, dysautonomia, muscle activation syndrome, chronic fatigue syndrome, and then more recently, diagnosed with some vascular compressions, um, also known as median arcuate ligament syndrome, superior mesenteric artery syndrome, nutcracker syndrome, and Mae-Thurner syndrome. So I have a lot, you know, definitely a lot going on on my plate. Um, and, you know, I think as I see more providers who specialize in my conditions, you know, I think they've really made me realize that I've been struggling with this since a younger age. My One of my providers always says to me, that might have been your normal, but that is not normal. Um, and, you know, that always kind of hits me. But, you know, I played sports growing up. I played basketball. I played softball. I did gymnastics. I did dance. I was, you know, always really a very active person. And one of the things that has, like, really come to light is I was always struggling to breathe. And, you know, they had diagnosed me with asthma. They had given me inhalers nothing seemed to work. Um, and, you know, this went on for some time. And um, when I got to college, I played basketball in college, and we had to do a five mile run outside. And I was not used to, you know, really doing a long distance run. And, you know, when we did this run, I started to experience, you know, what I now know are pot symptoms. So in the moment I was having severe chest pain, I had tachycardia, I was really dizzy, I was like navigating some really severe fatigue. And, you know, I, I remember after that run, I went back to my apartment and I just, you know, I could barely get back to my apartment. I just passed out for a couple hours. And then I remember like waking up and being like, where am I? What, ha what happened? Like trying to like reorient myself. And, you know, that really kind of scared me because I was like, what is going on here? And two weeks later, we had a flight out to Hawaii. We had our first basketball tournament in Hawaii, which was great. Um, but I had an episode on the flight. So when we got up to peak altitude, you know, my, I, my heart was beating. I was sweating through my clothes. I had, you know, all of this chest pain. And I was like, you know, what, what is happening here? And we didn't have smartwatches back then, right? So I'm like relying on what I'm thinking is going on. Um, so, you know, I think from there, I got really nervous and, you know, we went through like an exhaustive testing process and doctors were stumped, you know, they were like, nothing seems wrong, everything's fine. And I was, you know, I was very much like, I am not fine. Like, this is not fine. Um, and, you know, I think things kind of just really escalated from there. I remember in 2017, I had really severe gastrointestinal symptoms that came about and trying to go down the path with a gastroenterologist. Again, didn't see anything, didn't know what was going on. I started to change my diet. I was doing, you know, an elimination diet. I was, um, you know, really trying to uh, like acupuncture, massage, chiropractic, like down the line for everything and nothing was working. Um, and then, 
2019, I had another flight episode. It was a shorter flight. We were going to Memphis, same thing, same situation, but I had a smartwatch this time. So I knew my heart rate was like between 160 and 180. I was sweating through my clothes. I was feeling terrible on the flight. And I, you know, I was like, this, this can't be normal. You know, like this can't be normal for anyone. Um, and, you know, again, it went through a whole laundry list of testing. Doctors were like, you're fine. Um, and I started to go down the path of the cardiologist. So he ruled out everything that they, you know, anything that was dangerous. And he kind of came to the conclusion. He was like, you know, I think you have POTS. Let's get you to a tilt table test. But he was like, this doesn't explain all the other things. You're having allergic reactions. You're having joint pain. You're having all these other symptoms. It, do it doesn't fully explain it. Um, so I had my tilt table test. It was, you know, very, very positive. Um, and that kind of started my diagnostic journey. So POTS was my first diagnosis. And he didn't really know where to send me from there. You know, he just kind of was like, I'm not sure what to do. Let's treat the POTS. But you know, then I had to kind of take matters into my own hands and do a whole bunch of research to get into these other doctors to obtain these other diagnoses to, you know, really get good treatment options and to get down a good path. Um, so, you know, I think it's been really difficult, um, you know, and I think we've, we have me on a lot of different treatments right now, but kind of realize that there's still some more stuff going on. And that's where this vascular compression component has been coming in. So when you hear about vascular compressions, it can be common with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and it's compressions of, you know, veins and arteries and it can impact blood flow. So I'm still kind of in that, you know, in that journey now. Um, so it's been, you know, it's definitely been a really long road. You can hear that there's been a lot of years in between what's happened and how long it's taken for me to, you know, get into the get into the right providers and, you know, and I think with this journey being so difficult, you know, and outside of this diagnostic journey, I've, you know, become a, an advocate on social media for chronic illness. It's just been really important to me, you know, with there's been so much lack of awareness that, you know, I wanted to be able to give back and share anything that I possibly could on my journey to help someone you know, kind of get along their journey, maybe a little bit easier, or maybe, you know, they could ask uh, the right questions sooner. So that was kind of part of that reason why I, I did start to post about it and to, you know, really speak out about it. And, you know, I also joined Awareness for POTSIs, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Um, I'm a board member and business advisor there. And, you know, we're so focused on the community, you know, our goal is to really provide the POTS and chronic illness community with, you know, support, empowerment, compassion, you know, we really want to show that we're there for them, you know, during their chronic illness journey and, you know, everything that they have to navigate. Absolutely. And I, I think you hit it right on the head on a couple of different spots and that so much of a chronic illness journey is dictated by the ambiguity of not knowing what to do where so much of the time spent is at the 
top of the funnel in the diagnostic criteria, where if the bottom of the funnel is you have a diagnosis and the top of the funnel is you have all these symptoms, you're kind of whirling around in multiple different specialist visits, figuring out who you need to see, who you need to talk to, what you need to research. So I know that it is very appreciated as you share your experience and take some of those things that were earned through blood, sweat, and tears. I'm sure quite literally on most of those given lab draws and tilt table tests. But uh, but yeah, r- really being able to pass that down the line to the next person and, and make that process just a little bit easier is something that's really admirable and something that I, I know a lot of people, including myself, really appreciate. Within the process of figuring out where those resources are or how you navigate that kind of top of funnel, figuring out what doctors you need to see, who you need to be talking to, what resources you need to be looking at. What were those things or what are the things now that you would recommend to somebody to look at as they're uh, just beginning a chronic illness journey? Yeah. So I would say, you know, finding the right providers and finding providers that have you know, they have specialty in this. They've seen a lot of patients that are navigating these conditions because, you know, not only do they have that expertise and their specialty, but they also have that experience. Like they know if they've tried medications with this situation, with this symptom, you know, they can kind of better figure out, you know, which treatment option is better for you. It's amazing to me because we're all so different you know, we all might have the same conditions, but, you know, when I talk to others in the community, we are all on a completely different regimen. And, you know, I think having the right providers that can tailor that for you and really have that kind of expertise, I think is really critical. And, you know, it's easier said than done, right? Because I think a lot of these providers have lengthy wait lists or, you know, it's hard to find. And, you know, for me, I I do a lot of utilizing of social media and asking the community and, you know, who knows this doctor near this area or, you know, what's been your experience and just, you know, try to gather a whole bunch of facts to try to figure out, you know, does this make sense? Does this align? Um, and then I'm a big proponent, too, for people. I I always say, don't be afraid to get a second opinion. You know, it's just because you saw one provider and they've given you information, you know, you can get a second opinion. You can see if there's anything else out there. And it just gives you more data points for how you want to, you know, move forward. Um, And then I would say, too, like the right combination of medications that help symptom management, you know, as you're trying to work through and get down to root cause, you know, medication management is so difficult, right? There's a lot of trialing. You're trialing and trialing and trialing and, you know, you're trying to do it methodically and, you know, I'm someone that has mast cell activation syndrome, so it's really difficult because there's fillers and excipients and medications and, you you know, you got to go through this whole detailed process and really, you know, write everything down and, but I always tell people definitely stick to trialing it, you know, try to, you know, try to trial as long as you can, you know, as long as it's not dangerous and, you know, you're working with your provider and, you know, hopefully you can kind of get to, you know, the right outcome. And I'm a big person too. Technology is important for me. I'm a big Apple user. I have my iPhone and, you know, I think applications like PathEyes and, you know, utilizing the data from my Apple Watch, you know, they really help me stay on track with symptoms and crashes and medication management and heart rate variations. And, that really helps with my doctors too when I'm able to actually go in with facts and data 
it helps them kind of see what's going on outside of my appointment. Uh, so that's, I would say that's another, you know, another component. And then, you know, lastly, the chronic illness community, you know, I am so grateful for everyone in the community. You know, there's always open arms and everyone is, you know, so supportive. There's so much information and, you know, on, on bad days, everyone's always picking each other up. And, you know, I, I'm so grateful for that. Absolutely. I think, uh, so, so many great pieces of, uh, information in there. I'm, I'm not sure exactly where to, uh, dig in. So I, I think I'll just <laughs> leave it at that and let it stand. But, uh, yeah, it, it sounds like it, it, it's a multi-pronged approach where you have community medication management being regimented about figuring out what's working and, what, and what's not. It's, I think one of the things that we've talked about before is that there's, there's not going to generally be this one silver bullet, this one medication that just you take and everything's okay. Because if, if there was, odds are it would exist and we would know about it. Um, yeah. So I, I think you brought up a great point of figuring out how to interact with everything and how all those pieces interconnect, both from a community and mental health standpoint and also a symptom standpoint. I think uh, one thing that I, I know I really appreciate about Awareness for POTSies is that it or, and all of your other social media advocacy is that it really makes people not feel alone in the process. Yeah. I know for me, I was diagnosed eight years ago or so, and it might've just been that these spaces didn't exist as much, or I didn't know about them, but it was an extremely lonely process. And I know that a lot of your followers really, really appreciate that. Um, within the... I guess, experience of your journey, what would you say are like the core tenets of, hey, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do? Yeah, it's a great, you know, definitely a great question. I would say, you know, things you should do, you know, finding the right doctors, I'll go back to that. I think that's like, you know, super important to you know, find the right doctors. I think advocating for yourself to get the right testing. You know, I think sometimes there's been hesitation to do testing, right? And, you know, I've experienced that on my journey where, you know, they might not want to do a test or they might not think that it makes sense or, you know, oh, it couldn't possibly be that. That's too rare. Well, you know, personally, I recently found out that, you know, I had a test last week that I had been begging for for a long time and we got like all of the information on this test and I'm like oh my goodness like what if I had this test like five years ago um but you know I think not being afraid to advocate for what you need and what you know what tests that you feel like you want to be run and you know even if it's like yes this is a test but let's just see right let's just rule it out let's just make sure that there's nothing on there um and i know it's easier said than done right sometimes doctors are just not wanting to do certain things but i think for me it's like i'm always telling people to advocate for themselves you know and I, the other thing i think that's crucial is doing your own research it's really hard and you know there's many days where i am so exhausted where it's like i just don't even want to read another thing um and you know, it's hard, but it's like, I'm always trying to make a little bit of time to do more research, catch myself up, see what's out there so that I can have, you know, better conversations with my doctors. And, you know, even sometimes I'll even reference things. I mean, I'm also that person that just brings it in with me. And, 
you know, at first I would be scared to do that and I wouldn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to offend anyone. And now I'm like walking in with all sorts of like medical journals and stuff because it's like, this is like a group effort, right? You know, it's like, we all have to be kind of contributing to, you know, our care. And, you know, I try to bring as much as I can to them too, because, you know, at the end of the day, doctors are humans and they're still learning too about certain things. And, you know, I think that collaborative approach has really helped. Absolutely. On that note, you touched about this a little bit previously, but what are the telltale signs of finding that right provider? You talked about that mixture of expertise and experience, and I'm sure empathy is probably a big one in there. Um, But just if you have any tactical pieces of advice as to vetting doctors and kind of quickly or not quickly realizing if they're the right fit for you. Yeah, I feel like I made a post about this uh, a few months ago. Uh, It was probably after I was really mad, I think, after an appointment that didn't go well, where I was like, you know, this is like a performance review. You know, I'm in, I work in human resources, so I'm always like thinking about things in in that way. And, you know, I think empathy is probably one of the most important things. You know, I've learned along my journey that, not many are starting with empathy and I don't like, I'm still kind of not understanding why it's like, if I'm seeing a person like sitting in front of me, that's suffering so terribly with all of these symptoms and their whole life is impacted. Like I'm like immediately going to empathy of like, Oh my gosh, like what can we do to help this person? So, you know, I'm, when I'm asking in the Facebook groups, I'm asking about, you know, a person's experience with a doctor. Did they listen? you know, were they collaborative? Did they show, you know, empathy in that appointment? You know, were they able to speak to the condition and were they, you know, able to speak to some of the co-occurring conditions too? Like, do they understand how they all impact each other? You know, have they written papers? Um, Have they done research? You know, I, I'm the person, you know, that looks at a provider's profile and I'm looking for what research papers they've contributed to and kind of seeing like, okay, you know, they've studied some of this. So that's, you know, that definitely would be supportive or their specialty area is in this, you know, so that would be supportive for my case. Um, And, you know, just also just kind of scrolling through people's feedback on their appointments, you know, on, on some of the Facebook groups, a lot of people share about, you know, how their appointment went and, you know, what they learned from it and what they took away from it. So, those are kind of some of the core things that, you know, I'm looking for when it comes to finding the right providers. I'll also go to, you know, some of the major websites to like an Ellers Download Society and see who their recommended providers are too, because, you know, that's like an extra level of vetting. I think that's a great piece of advice and something that maybe some listeners can go through and implement. I think the last question before we close out would be, just in a broad sense, and I know this is a very big question, if there were one or two things that you could really fundamentally change about how we manage chronic illness in this country and around the world, what what would those things be in terms of if you had a team of people working on something 24-7 to go fix, what, what would you want them to go do? Yeah, I probably have four things, so I'll try to I'll try to move quickly. But um, no need, no need. We're not. (laughs) Um, You know, so I think the first thing is longer appointment times that are covered under insurance, 
right? So that's a big thing for me. I've seen a couple providers who have not been covered under insurance, but they've given me a four-hour initial comprehensive appointment. And that is what it took, right? That's what it takes to go through your whole life history to give them every single piece of information that they need to kind of put the dot, like connect the dots and to be able to put in the right testing. And, you know, I really would love for that to be, you know, if you're navigating complex chronic illness symptoms, I would love for the medical systems and the insurance companies to do better there where they understand that this needs to be a longer appointment. It is acceptable for there to be a billing code for this that, you know, works for everybody. And, you know, we get more time with these specialists to have like a proper evaluation. You know, by the time right now, when you have a new patient appointment, you're like 30 minutes at this point because they're looking at your notes before the appointment. Then they're, you know, looking at your imaging and then they're coming in and letting you talk. And it's just not enough. It's like you feel so, so rushed when you're going through it. And, you know, I, I generally am like, oh, my God, did I miss something? Did they get everything? What if what if I forgot something and they could have connected some dots? So that's kind of like the first component for me. And then I think the second component for me is really about it's about coaching in a way, because I feel like when we leave these appointments, they'll give us a handout, right? Usually there's like some sort of one page handout that doesn't even scratch the surface, right? And then we're kind of left to go home and put the pieces together ourselves or do more research ourselves. And we're so tired, right? We're already tired of managing symptoms. And then we've got to like put all of this together ourselves. And, you know, I wish that there was something where, you know, yes, I know the specialists are busy, but you know, do, can they coordinate with a case manager to help us kind of put together, you know, this like plan or, you know, kind of some sort of like goal setting thing in place? I, I don't exactly know what it looks like, but I just feel like there needs to be more coaching and more helping us setting up a plan so that we're not, you know, fumbling to do it on our own. Um, and then one of the biggest things that I talk about a lot is the... I talk about conference room style Zoom meetings amongst your care teams to brainstorm treatment options instead of like letting you kind of flounder and bounce from appointment to appointment, right? So I think, you know, for me, it's like none of my none of my providers talk to each other. I've never had like a provider call another provider and actually kind of like brainstorm. And, you know, when you think about business and the corporate world, right, there's a problem there's a meeting called immediately and they call the key stakeholders together. They have a problem solving exercise. There's action items, there's solutions. And, you know, I just really feel like the same approach could be beneficial in medicine. And, you know, I know time is tough, but, you know, I'm coming from a place where it's like, I wonder if, if those meetings happened, does that save more time down the line? Right. Could there, could they come together and just really brainstorm and, you know, come up with more creative ideas while talking together. And then that saves appointments and, you know, extra time and, you know, the patient really floundering down the line. So that's like another big thing that I often talk about. Um, and then, you know, lastly, I think medical gaslighting, um, it's a tough one. You know, I, unfortunately, everyone I have spoken to has endured some level of medical gaslighting or medical trauma. And 
I really think, you know, I'm going to go back to empathy, right? Empathy really should be the first thing that happens. And, you know, and that's where they should be coming from when someone's suffering. And I would love to see hospital systems, you know, and really anyone, whether it's paramedics, EMTs, anyone that's interacting with a patient, I would love to see there be more teaching and training about empathy and communication so that patients can have a better experience. And, you know, so patients can feel heard and, you know, they're not going through such a traumatic experience. I, I think that's a great point. Uh, it, it's always been something that's been on my mind in the sense that a lot of these stakeholders, whether they're case managers or physicians or paramedics or EMTs, are interacting with people probably at one of like the worst times in their lives. And being able to come into that with a sense of at least baseline understanding of where where that's coming from, I think is something that's going to be essential going forward and and something that as we try to build services out that is at at the core of our mission in the sense that like if we can't truly understand the people that we're trying to serve and feel what they're feeling there's there's no shot that we're going to be able to adequately address the the needs that they're feeling so i I think that's a great point to close out on. And I think a a lot of things that we can look forward to building together and look forward to seeing down the line. Um, Thanks so much for taking the time to chat today, Angela. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And, you know, I definitely appreciate the opportunity to, you know, be able to share. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, this is the Path Eyes Health podcast. We will see you next week.